Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. Twice a week, every week, we try to bring you latest information for guys before, during, and after divorce in this podcast. We also do virtual town halls, so make sure to check that out. We just did one yesterday. And that material's all on our Cordell Cordell YouTube channel. So check out, there are hundreds of podcasts as well as virtual town halls where you can look at information and spot issues that matter most to you. If you have questions, send us a question at townhalls at cordelllaw.com. Townhalls, that's H-A-L-L-S at cordelllaw.com. We'll address those questions at our next virtual town hall, or you can register and log in live and get answers right then and right there from our panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys. Remember, uh, consultation uh, is something that is far better than getting uh, anything out of this podcast, albeit this is supposed to be a talking point so that you can go and facilitate a good conversation with your attorney. It is not legal advice and certainly is an attorney-client relationship. I always caution as we begin. So today is no different. We have a great topic brought to us by Maggie McNamara over in Virginia Beach. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. And so let's talk about spousal support. We really, and interestingly enough, I was just talking to someone else on a podcast. I've probably done 150 to 180 of these over the last 13 months. And we really haven't dedicated a podcast to just or support obligations, whether it be spousal support or child support. So this is a good topic for guys because one or the other or both are going to apply to them. So it's good stuff. So maintenance, I I actually referred to this yesterday in in the virtual town hall, alimony, spousal support. I talked about... Um, the tax implications that change drastically uh, for guys that maybe were paying it. And so let's maybe it's a good point or a good place to start for us. And you can talk a little bit about what changed uh, from the deductibility standpoint for maintenance. I mean, it's commonly referred to as spousal support around the country. Sure. So up until December 31st of 2018, um, any support documents that were executed via a divorce decree or another order from the court allowed the person that was paying the support to deduct that support from their taxable income. And then it required the person that was receiving the support to claim it on their income. That deduction has gone away. So if you were lucky enough to have entered into a decree or an agreement before the end of 2018, you are grandfathered in and you're still allowed to deduct that income that you're paying out. If you're not so fortunate and you're just going through something now or you went through it after 2018, you are paying that income to the recipient. The recipient is not having to claim the funds on her taxes and you're still taxed on that income. So it's a pretty big sting because obviously one of the, you know, silver linings of having to pay it was that you weren't being taxed on it. Yeah, and I think it's huge. So in Missouri, and I'm not sure about Virginia, and obviously around the country, there are variances. There's no formula here in Missouri. Uh, It is judge-to-judge discretion. Now, albeit, the interesting thing was that judges were using this kind of unwritten formula to give guidelines and, and kind of a guidepost for us to advise our clients. And when the tax implications or the tax ramifications hit and we can no longer deduct those payments, it really just completely threw that that guidance into chaos because here we are, we may be taking into effect, you know, the deductibility and what may be a thousand dollar payment is only seven hundred dollars in real terms. That's gone. And so it really became problematic. And now 
I mean, I'm curious what what's happening in Virginia and, and the surrounding states around you and in terms of what courts are, are looking at and how they accommodate that tax implication. So we've been really disappointed as divorce attorneys in Virginia that judges don't seem to be contemplating the lack of deductibility at this point. It's something that you have to bring up and fight hard for. Um, we have very loose guidelines. We have temporary spousal support guidelines that aren't supposed to be used as far as final support awards, but sometimes are. It varies greatly jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but it is um, largely subjective. The judge decides based on the income and the, expense of the expenses of the parties um, what ought to be ordered, but there's been very little consideration for the lack of, of deductibility and something that we've had to really bring up and really fight hard for to make sure that the court sees what exactly our client is losing out on. Because it is, like you said, it can be a very, very large percentage of that payment up to a third that's just yeah. being lost. It's huge. I mean, for especially with the guys that we represent in the middle, you know, the higher income, obviously, it was uh, phased out. The deduction got phased out. So it wasn't, I mean, obviously, it impacts everyone. But really, the guys in the middle just take a huge hit with the loss of this deduction, which means that your attorney, if you're in the middle of this, your attorney needs to factor that in and start looking at, you know, maybe in your mind, what I'm doing at least is saying, okay, even though it's not deductible, that's how I'm calculating my support anyway. I'm assuming the deduction is still there and that's what would have been given, you know, ignoring the tax deduction. So um, it's important. And so keeping on spousal support, uh, there's always questions about modifiable versus non-modifiable and what the court can do, what the court will do, um, what the law is, and, and I'm curious what you have to say about that. So obviously I'm very Virginia-centric, um, but in most states, spousal support can be modifiable or non-modifiable. If it's non-modifiable, that means that it cannot be changed. You cannot come back to the court and say, judge, something's changed. I'd like to see a change. Leaving support modifiable does allow you to come back. In, in most cases, you're going to have to show a big change um, that has occurred that is now creating a situation where you're asking for some kind of relief from the court. That being said, Modification can be really difficult. In Virginia, spousal support modification doesn't only require that there's been a material change of circumstances, it also requires an actual demonstration to the court that you can't pay it. So you may have received a significant reduction in your income, but you still have to affirmatively show to the court that you can't pay it in order to change it. There's pros and cons to each. Even though it seems tempting to leave something modifiable, Oftentimes in order just to avoid future litigation, future legal expenses, it's a better situation just to say, we're going to decide what the number is, we're going to decide what the duration is, we're gonna pay it out and not have it modifiable because it can come back at you if you do leave that door open. And a lot of people just want the closure to move on. Yeah, it's, you know, in Missouri, I always say that there is modifiable and non-modifiable. 99.9999% of the cases that are tried will be modifiable. The courts cannot, without, I mean, extreme facts, issue a non-modifiable award in Missouri, which, you know, leaves a lot of uh, room to negotiate, where I tell guys, look, there is some, as you suggest, pros and cons. You know, many guys will say, look, I just want non-modifiable, I'll agree to pay her for 10 years, 
and just be done with it. Well, I'm like, look, if you get hit by a bus, you're still on the hook. Again, right. whatever that amount is, you become disabled, you're on the hook. I mean, there's positives and negatives and uh, you have, just have to be careful. And I think what the point I think which is, is really interesting about this conversation is that be creative. There are a lot, there's a lot of room to be creative in spousal support, uh, whether we'll talk here about it, about um, property and exchanging and like exchanges for getting out of the maintenance obligation. But what's really interesting, and I've tried this in, in the Supreme Court here in Missouri, and that is um, duration. You know, I had a, a client who was married for six years and divorced, paying for 20 years. And it just, that shows you really the difficulty in getting maintenance either modified or alimony, modified or terminated. So you have to just kind of proceed with caution because the duration can be, it can be a lifetime award unless they remarry, they die, or, you know, there's some, I'm not, I'm not sure what Virginia is about cohabitation, you know, living with a boyfriend or living with a girlfriend or, you know, having a partner in your home, but that's also something to consider, right? It is. And just to touch on one thing that you said about what if you get hit by a bus, your attorney can, through an agreement process where you negotiate something out as opposed to having it tried before a judge, add certain events that would become modification worthy. So you could say this is going to be non-modifiable except for in the event that the payor becomes disabled and is unable to work, something like that. So it does give you a lot of different options, like you said, to be creative and make sure that you're not signing up for something that's going to be impossible to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, gosh, you know, there may have been individuals and men out there that agreed to certain things and lumps or a fixed term uh, before COVID and they lose their job. And I mean, just, you know, now they have kind of like, what did I just do? Even in the toughest of times, there are usually opportunities for relief. Many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders. You should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations, but time is of the essence. If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. It becomes problematic, and I think the one maybe positive about the tax um, changes were lump sum. We were always concerned about lump sum amounts for maintenance because you may have lost deductibility. Uh, the IRS rules were very strict about that, but I, I do uh, often uh, engage with clients about trying to be creative and saying, okay, let's pay perhaps more from your 401k in lieu of maintenance. Do you do that often? Yes, absolutely. So if you're looking at doing a lump sum award. That's obviously one scenario. Another one is to do what's called in Virginia an equitable distribution award, where we don't even call it spousal support, but we say, fine, you can have 75% of what's in my 401k instead of taking what you likely would have gotten in trial, which would be half, and I'm not going to pay spousal support, and we're going to do a permanent waiver of spousal support. So, and there are a couple of different ways to do the lump sum. You can obviously say, I'm going to pay it out in 30 days, and maybe the, issue, maybe the remedy there is to take a loan out on your 401k to get the big lump sum. You can also say, I'm going to pay out a lump sum, but I have 12 months to do it. So you can pay it earlier if you're able, or give yourself additional time to, to make that happen. But once you've paid the full amount due, you're done, and you don't have any ongoing obligation. 
Yeah, there, it is really interesting. And one of the benefits over here at Cordell is we have some tax, you know, LLM attorneys, uh, masters in tax, where they can do an analysis. Because if you're transferring 75% of your 401k, the wonderful thing is now you're getting a tax advantage in some regard because you're you're passing on pre-tax dollars that that your spouse is ultimately, in order to pull out, is going to have to pay. So right. you, you want to look at what the real value of your property is that you're uh, either giving uh, to the other side and what the tax effect, like you don't want to trade a taxable asset and, and give her a non-taxable asset because they don't, even if they're both at a hundred thousand, they're really not at a hundred thousand. So right. again, it gets a little bit complicated, uh, but it's well worth uh, that discussion. So uh, I know we run quickly out of time. Let's talk about child support. I think that's always key. Child support across the country, there are various ways to do it. And, you know, Illinois at one point, uh, which is just across the river from us, uh, was a single payor calculation, meaning that um, you just take the income of one spouse here in Missouri. It's a dual income. Um, you know, Virginia-centric, what do they do there? We have a dual income system too. Basically what we do is we take the mother's income and the father's income, we add them together to create a family income, and then we look at the number of children. And it's basically like looking at a tax table to see what the proper amount of support is, and then that's divvied out by percentage of who is earning what in, in the family. So yes, there are, there are three different ways to calculate child support. Um, the federal government does require that every state has a plan, but again, the benefit of negotiating something out through a settlement agreement is that you're able to come up with solutions that the court is not able to provide because they're just restricted in what they can do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, I find it often where I hear lawyers say, well, you know, the chart's the chart. You got to live right. with it. Um, you know, Missouri, the chart is not the chart. The chart is a guidepost. Again, we can deviate um, and you have to have reasons for it. And I think one great reason, at least in Missouri, um, and then we're still waiting for a revision because when you pay maintenance, which is, is a great transition to this conversation, maintenance was put into the chart um, as a deduction from the payor's income and an addition. Now with the tax changes, it shouldn't be. The whole chart is thrown off with this tax change because the child support number now is making some false assumptions for the payor that the income that they have, they don't have because it's, you know, now we're paying more than we otherwise would. So a great reason to deviate, I think if you're listening, you, you know, one of the conversations you want to have with your attorney is, hey, what are the reasons we could deviate? What are the reasons I can do something different outside of the chart? Because that's key, especially when you're talking about maintenance or alimony, spousal support, whatever you call it in your jurisdiction. So I think that's a huge opportunity. But duration is also another question. I was just doing a podcast where we talked about jurisdiction and how different states apply because, you know, here in Missouri, it's 21. And what is it in Virginia? How long does it go? In Virginia, it's 18 or 19 if your child is still a full-time high school student. So, yes, there are some variances there. And when we have clients with cases that are dual jurisdiction, people are often shocked to find out that they may have an obligation until they're 21 years old. Yeah, and, and does, that's it, where if you have relocating parties, it can be really important to make sure that, for example, if I have a Virginia client who's looking at moving to Missouri, you know, you may want to pump the brakes and say, let's see what kind of language we can put in here to make sure that Virginia retains jurisdiction and that Virginia law controls that you're not on the hook for an extra three years of support. 
Yeah, here in Missouri, you not only have to pay post high school, uh, but you have to pay college costs. Uh, parent divorced parents are obligated to pay the college costs of the child through eight semesters and pay child support in some form or fashion. So it is pretty drastic state to state. Uh, that's a key, you know, component of when you're just deciding. You know, maybe there is an opportunity to pick up and move, and that's part of your strategy, and go to a state that's more friendly, like Virginia, where it ends at 18. And you, I guess, you could agree. Um, in your decree to provide for support beyond 18 if you wanted, right? Yes, you certainly can do that. And we oftentimes do have um, negotiations involving who will pay for college, how much will be contributed, you know, four years of college versus six years of college, books, room and board, all of those things can be agreed upon and put into a contract. And one of the things, you know, kind of Playing off, we talked about deviating from uh, the guidelines or the calculations is uh, when we have uh, young children in daycare. One of the good things is I try to tell clients in our chart here in Missouri, I'm not sure about Virginia, uh, daycare is included in the chart. So you have to put that amount. But the point is, is once you include it uh, and they stop going, you've got to go back and modify and spend more fees. So it's a great right. reason, and judges are all okay with it, saying, look, judge, I want to deviate from the chart, and I want to pay directly that third-party vendor, uh, and we provide for that. Is that something you can do in Virginia? Yes, that's a great option. So we do also in Virginia have the child care costs put in our chart, and that can really cause a big burn when you have a three-year-old, and in two years, you either have to keep paying that astronomical amount for full-time daycare or go back and ask for a modification. So Yes, one solution is to go ahead and say, instead of including this figure in our guidelines and in our support amount, we're going to say that, for example, dad pays 50% of the daycare and mom pays 50% of the daycare directly to the provider, yeah. leave it out. You know, another option is to say, dad's obligation will be X dollars until the child begins kindergarten. At that point, we're gonna have an automatic reduction. That way they don't have to go back to court for that reduction. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the dangers. I mean, you think about it, just listening to what you were talking about, and you hear all these ads, oh, you know, do-it-yourself divorce, and go online, and, and what you're forced to do is use these pre-printed forms, the calculations, putting in the daycare, they're maybe not work-related, now you're on the hook for social-related daycare. Um, the creative strategies that your attorney, only an attorney who practices exclusively in family law can do. And so I think that's important to understand that is, as maybe comforting as it sounds to make things fast and easy, uh, there are creative ways to save money over the long term, especially if you have young children. You could be 15, 16 years uh, down the road paying something, and you don't want to pay another lawyer to go back and modify. I mean, that's just crazy stuff, right? That's so true. And I have so many cases where people have done these do it yourself divorces and signed these agreements. And they're just horrifying to look at. And the trouble is, is that courts want people to reach settlements. They want people to work things out together. So they are so heavily inclined to enforce that agreement, no matter how bad, no matter how unfair it is. Once you sign that, you are so stuck in it and oftentimes stuck in ways you didn't even realize you were sticking yourself into. Yeah. Well, support is a huge deal when you're talking about divorce. There are many ways to try to talk through that and, and put together a good strategy. So thanks for joining Enlightening Guys uh, along the way. And this is great topic. You and I could probably talk for an hour on it, but thanks for joining. Probably so. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, keep tuning in twice each week. And don't forget to send your questions over to townhalls at cordelllaw.com. We'll get those answered during a podcast or the virtual town hall. 
go ahead and go to cordellcordell.com and give us a call to schedule a consult at 866-DANSLAW. We can do it via Zoom, telephone, or in the comfort uh, of our offices, whatever is appropriate for you considering health and safety. So until next time, have a great week.